Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Today's teaching text is taken from John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father and having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas the son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus and Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he would that he had come from God and he was returning to God so He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew he was going to betray him. And that was why that he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put, his clothes, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done to you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You're so welcome. If we haven't met before, my name's Andy. I'm uh, part of the team here, and uh, we do really hope that you feel very much at ease and at home among us. Uh, we're a community that's trying to figure out what it looks like to live a life fully surrendered to the rule and the reign of Jesus. That um, this thing called Christianity is not about an hour on Sundays. It's not about five minutes in your morning. It's not about trying to just learn how to be a better person. It's all about learning to live a life fully surrendered to the rule and the reign of Jesus. We are in week three this morning of our Back to Basics series, and it felt appropriate to talk about Nua this morning in the context of what we want to teach about this morning, which is how do we do relationships together? What does it actually look like for us to do life with each other? And we've been uh, reading that really famous passage from John 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. A profound reordering or reorientating ourselves around what's really, really important. I wonder if you were to imagine Jesus in your mind, what would he look like? Have you ever done that? Like what would like like what would Je- what does Jesus actually look like? Not some kind of like ghosty spiritual you know thing. Like the actual historical 
in blood, flesh, and bone Jesus. So I wonder what you imagine he looks like. I wonder how many of you have something close to what I call Swedish Jesus in your mind when you think about this. Throw up Swedish Jesus for me, Andy. This is Swedish Jesus, right? You know, the make and mild, gentle shepherd, you know, who would just, you know, strokes lambs for a living, you know? Like wandering around and saying profound things and never upsetting or offending everyone, you know? Swedish Jesus is a bit of a caricature. And um, if you get serious about reading the Gospels, it's hard to find Swedish Jesus in there. It's hard to find the Jesus that doesn't rock the boat or offend anybody, the Jesus that's meek and mild and never controversial. He doesn't really exist in the Bible. It's hard to overstate just how radical, subversive, and challenging Jesus is in the Gospels and in our lives. It can be a real discipleship problem if you think Jesus is Swedish Jesus. You know, and we say this all the time. You've heard me poke fun at this a lot, you know, whenever like people are trying to discern God's voice in their lives. And often what comes back is, I just, just don't have a peace about that, you know. Read about the disciples' journey in the Gospels. There's almost nothing happens where the dominant emotion in their life is peace. It is hugely uncomfortable. Often with them going, what are we doing here? Remember the boat in the storm? Pete was talking about it last week. The disciples are literally like, we're going to die and Jesus is asleep. Right? And then he gets up and comes the storm and rebukes them. The voice of God in our lives is disruptive and challenging. Hugely challenging. They didn't crucify Jesus for stroking pet lambs. Constantly, if you open your heart and your mind up to God, constantly, gently but powerfully, he confronts our way of doing life and our values. Constantly saying, I know you think this is really important, but this is more important. I know you think that this is the most valuable thing in your life, but learn to value that. There's this constant reordering of our lives and right at the center of the heart of God as people, the pinnacle of creation, the crowning glory of new creation. And if we're going to pattern our lives after the way of Jesus, we need to learn how to practice his value for other people and not just those that we like or easily get on with. So let me ask you this question. I wonder how important are people in your life? How important are people in your life? I think most of us probably would say, hugely important. There's nothing more important. Like people are the point. My life would be meaningless without people. Let me ask you a different question. I wonder how many of your habits, rhythms, and practices reflect those values. People are the most important thing in my life. My wife is the most important person in my life. Were you talking to me? Sorry, did you say something? It's so interesting how we can have these things that we think or say are really important, and yet if we audit our habits, rhythms, patterns, practices, suddenly those stupid, 
stated values can so often be undermined. I said earlier that business thinking has helped the church, but the mindset can kill it. HR is a great example, right? Human resources or human resource. Like it's the it's Ron Seal, right? People are resources to be used to boost your profit. Now, of course, we have to treat people properly and we have to have systems and practices and there's all sorts of legislation involved. But at the end of the day, the people that work for me, they're resources to be used, to be put to work in whatever vision or endeavor we're trying to do together. That's why the business mindset is a cancer to the church. People are so much more than resources. Heard a brilliant story of a business in Belfast that um, did a really crazy experiment over the last 12 months. It's a PR firm. And uh, last year, the owner gathered his entire staff and said, um, some news. I think they all thought they were getting fired. He said, uh, some news. Uh, as of next week, you're all only employed four days a week. We're changing your contracts to be four days instead of five days, and there was about to be rebellion. He said, no, 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 hold on, sorry, should make it very clear. You're going to be paid exactly the same. Paid exactly the same. I just want you to work four days instead of five. This has been going on for 12 months, and what they're, what they're discovering, what he discovered, is that his profit has increased, his uh, employee absence through sickness has decreased, and his employee engagement is through the roof. Like his business is more healthy, more productive, and more profitable by him learning how to say, you people are more important to me than anything else. And I'm going to reflect that, not just in my words, but in the very structure of my business. In the kingdom and the church, people are not supposed to be resources to be used. Verse 1 of John 13 says, Now before the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. This is moments before Jesus would be found in a garden, literally sweating drops of blood as he prepared himself for what was about to happen full of questions this morning, but here's another one. In your most stressed or anxious moments in your life, how do you treat those who are closest to you? Like when you're under the most pressure, what's it like to be around you? Most of my apologies to Dana start with some version of this sentence. I'm really sorry about that. I'm under pressure or I'm really sorry about that. I'm re- I was a bit stressed yesterday. And the painful truth for me and for us is that stress doesn't cause behavior. It reveals it. It's in our moments of greatest stress or under the most pressure that our truest self gets revealed. And it's so easy, and I'm firmly in this camp, it is so easy for us to use stress or pressure as an excuse for bad choices or behavior, when actually often all it's doing is revealing what's actually there. I know that that's hard to hear, but when it comes to our relationships, we need to learn how to practice love. In this moment for Jesus, as he's preparing himself for everything that he knew was coming. He practices love in the most profound way. 
See, the truth is that love is an action, not an emotion. Love is an action, not an emotion. I love this when I'm speaking at weddings. I almost always will lean into this. Because you know that moment in weddings, everybody looks incredible and bride and groom are there and they're filled with all the kind of warm and fuzzies and all that sort of stuff. And usually I'll say some version of, you know, there's a moment coming when all those warm and fuzzies will be replaced with something that feels a little bit more boiling and bubbling. And we need to learn. We need to learn if our relationships are going to be healthy. We need to learn that love is an action way more than it's emotion. There are plenty of times for you, I'm sure, not for me, but for you. There are plenty of times when the emotion is gone, but the action should remain. The reality is that love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. Love isn't sacrificial. Love doesn't, you re- doesn't require you to sometimes sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. That's what it is. Jesus in this moment is about to model to his followers what love truly is. What love truly is. But before he gets to the demonstration, verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. The introduction to this, the introduction to this moment of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is a declaration of Jesus' love and his power. This is what God's love and his power in action looks like. See, power looks different with God. It's not a show of strength. It's not a flexing of wealth or money. It's not a look at all the important people that I'm associated with. Look at this famous person that I'm friends with. That's, that's not how power operates around God. Jesus in this passage in the coming chapters demonstrates what love and real power actually is. I always find this interesting. He doesn't sit around the table looking his followers in the eye and saying, you really matter to me. I really love you. Listen, guys, over the next couple of days, things are going to get a bit crazy. Some stuff's going to go down here. You're going to be confused. When it all happens, you need to remember these words. I, Jesus, love you. That's not what he does. They get around the table He instructs someone to bring him a towel and a basin. And he takes his jacket off and he wraps the towel around his waist and he kneels at their feet and begins to wash them. Helpful bit of context. The feet in this story are not like your feet. Some of your feet are pretty bogging. The feet in this story are not like our feet. They don't have clean socks to put on every morning. They don't have comfortable shoes to wear. They didn't shower regularly. The feet in this story are wrapped in hard leather, walking on dusty roads in temperatures between 30 and 40 degrees often. Absolutely disgusting. And Jesus the Son of God, the one who freely 
left the grandeur of heaven doesn't come to just walk among us. He comes to wash our feet. Can you imagine being one of the disciples in this moment? Sitting there as Jesus is kneeling in front of you. This is the same guy, you were with him just a few days ago when he arrived in Jerusalem on the donkey to crowds healing him as the longed for liberator. The king who was promised is arriving. And now the coming king is kneeling in front of you saying, give me your feet. Give me your You see, we don't worship a God who's waiting to catch us out, longing to punish us for our mistakes. We don't worship one who is like an aloof or angry school teacher. We worship one who comes to us with a towel around his waist and kneels in front of us and says, give me your feet. I don't really like people touching my feet. I don't know about you. Like the idea of someone washing my feet makes me incredibly uncomfortable. And yet he comes. There is truly none like him. He says that he loves them. He says that all of the power of God is available to him. And then he begins to demonstrate that in a way that blows their mind. As he takes their feet in his hands and begins to wash them. So he's moving around the room washing the feet. In verse 6 he comes to Peter who says to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand, but afterwards you will understand. Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. I can really relate to Peter. Peter's like a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. You know, not overly thought through, but super eager, you know, ready to go at kind of any moment. And you can kind of imagine this moment. Peter's convinced this is a test. And he's watching as all of his friends fail, getting excited. Oh man, they've totally missed this. I can't believe they're letting him wash their feet. Like he's the guy, he's the one, like this is the coming king. Like he's about to establish his rule and reign on the earth. And he's going to have to pick a cabinet. This is what this is about. He's going to pick those that are going to rule with him. There's no way he's going to let people rule with him who's letting him wash their feet. He's getting it rehearsed. There's no way. I'm going to, I'm going to, when he comes to me, I'm going to be ready. He's going to kneel down. I'm going to say, no way, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus is going to go, you get it, Peter. And I'm going to look at everyone else and go, suckers, you guys are so silly. (laughs) This is Peter, right? So he's all in his moment. He's rehearsed it perfectly. Jesus gets to him and with all of the boldness declares, no way, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And like so often happens, with Peter, Jesus gently and very directly points out how he's completely missed what's going on. How often do we think we're being holy and miss the very ministry of Jesus right in front of us? In our religion, we miss what God is doing all around us. You've heard us say almost every week here that we are most like God when we're being generous. 
And I, I don't know if you pay much attention when you read the Bible, but if, if you do, you'll notice that the scriptures are full of paradox. Things that shouldn't make sense, but live together. And actually, when we live in a black and white world, we're on pretty dodgy ground. Because life with Jesus was never supposed to be formulaic. It was never supposed to be the execution of principles. If we just do this, everything will be okay. It was always supposed to be about following a living person who's called Jesus. And so sometimes he'll say something to that person, but the opposite to that person. This is why if you try to follow Jesus just by doing what somebody else is doing, it runs out of steam very quickly. Now, of course, we're supposed to do it in community, but that's where life and fullness happens. Because at the same time, God can be telling someone over there to shut up while he's telling somebody over there to speak. And so, yes, it is true that we are most like God when we're being generous, but it is also true that a hallmark mark of our maturity is our ability to receive. We are absolutely supposed to exercise the muscle of generosity in our lives, and we are equally supposed to be able to confess to each other three words that will change your life. I need help. It is so much easier to live in an either or. God's all about me being generous. God's all about meeting my needs or me confessing those needs to a community. And it gets really dysfunctional really quick when we do either or Christianity. It is always supposed to be both and. Where together we immerse our lives in the impulse of generosity, living beyond ourselves, and with humility and confidence are able to articulate that I too am broken and in need of Jesus and you lot. Peter, I think, can't receive from Jesus for probably many reasons. But one, it's not in the text, so let me play with this for a second. But one, I think, is potentially because he's just too proud. If he were Jesus, there's no way he would behave this way. How often do we do that? Can't be God. God would never do that. We make God in our own image. If this were really God, then it would look very, very different. I wonder how often do we hide from God and others through religious language and impulse? I wonder how often do we busy ourselves helping others, serving others, immersing ourselves in all sorts of stuff all the while, Jesus is kneeling right in front of us. Come on, would you just, just give me your feet for a second? Promise it'll help. Just give me your feet. Let me wash you. If we're going to learn how to prioritize people in our lives... We need to embrace the way of Jesus where we learn that love is sacrifice. And we have the humility to receive from him and from each other.
There is absolutely no point in the pretense of pretending that everything is okay. I read a brilliant quote this week that said this. Some of us are so poor that all we have is money. Some of us are so poor that all we have is money. Doing this job for the length of time that I have done it, I have come to realize that it doesn't matter what badge is stuck on your car or the square footage of your house. We all need each other and we all need Jesus. And we can play the game where we hide in all those kind of labels and whatever. But how freeing it is when we're able to come before God and some friends and say, I too have need. We're going to, as a community, Hannah, why don't you guys come back up? We're going to, as a community, um, practice this feet washing impulse this summer in Love Lagging Valley. Don't panic. We're not actually going to wash any feet that I'm aware of. Um, who knows? Maybe that could happen, but it's not in the plan. It's not one of the projects, right? Um, but metaphorically, we're going to go into our community this summer with towel around our waist, with how can we help kind of posture. But one of the things that uh, Yvette and I talk often about that makes us really, really nervous is that the attitude that we somehow have this all figured out and that we're going to the lost and broken world to give them all of our solutions would creep into us. And in it, we, we miss the posture of Jesus, which is that of incredible sacrifice and equal humility. That as we go, we go fully aware that we too are broken and in need. And that we're looking to join in with what he is doing in those places. That people are never projects, but potential friends. And the only way we get that sorted out is by us embracing our own need for Jesus and each other. That we don't go with an impulse of superiority or having everything uh, figured out, but with sacrifice and with humility. But I want to finish this morning somewhere, somewhere slightly different. Because it would be kind of easy for us to land here with the big rallying cry to go and wash the feet of our city, right? Because Jesus has showed us this and he said, go and do this for others and that's what this is all about. We're going to go and wash the feet of the Lagan Valley region. Ah, let's go. And yet I think if we did that, we might miss the moment of what's really going on for you and for me in this day. Which is the risen Jesus in a place that's very familiar to him. His jacket off, and a towel around his waist, kneeling in front of you, saying, Would you give me your feet? And so my final my final question this morning as we finish is what do you need from Jesus? What do you need from Jesus? Not what does your Uncle Arthur need or not what Aunt Betty needs or not what your next door neighbor or your work colleague or that person down the street. Because that, again, it's our impulse. We're like God when we do that, right? No, no, don't help me, God. Help them. 
And yet Jesus is right here saying, what do you need? What do you need from me this morning? It feels all wrong that Jesus would come to us saying, how can I serve you? No, 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 Lord, I'm supposed to serve you. Holy Spirit, would you come now? 